0: Teacher, what star is that? Don't think. Speak, 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 speak. You are now listening to the Bishop Chronicles. Bishop Chronicles.
1: You're not to learn.
0: Try, 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 try with me. It's my own secret technique. <laughs> I don't drink brass monkey, I like to beat funky Nickname Easy e yo 8-ball junkie bam, 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 bam. Mm. Yeah, welcome to the Bishop Chronicles I'm your host, Adisa the Bishop You are tuned in, locked in rather, to FarsideTV.com This is Side Life Radio You are listening to the Bishop Chronicles And I'm your host, Adisa the Bishop A.K.A. the Black Dragon of the West Side A.K.A. Zato Ichi. Domori gotoko sai mus aka the South B Shogun. Hai, so this AKA the Iron Hook Assassin Assassin A.K.A. The Dead Sea Saracen, that's right, boy. Bishop Chronicles is the world's first podcast giving you West Coast perspectives on hip-hop, MMA, and health and fitness trends. Ain't nobody out there lacing your cranium with this here vibranium like me. Uno, no. Adisa, the Bishop. Understand real quick, you can be down now or you can bow down later, you know what I'm saying? But the West Side, we stay getting greater, boy. So thank you for listening today. I appreciate you. Understand, if this is your first time listening, The Bishop Chronicles may not be the best thing, but it's shown off is the worst thing. mm, 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 mm. That's the church point. The high note, I can't really sing. So listen, real quick, what I'm going to need you to do is take a quick moment, okay? Go to Spotify, Mixcloud, iTunes, subscribe. That's all you got to do. That's all me and Mike need you to do. You know what I'm saying? We over here taking you around the world, lacing you, letting you see all these, you know what I'm saying, insights you ain't never seen before, introducing you to people you don't know before. You can't say, subscribe, dog. Stop playing. And you know, you can always reach out to me directly on IG at Real Hip Hop Chess. One more again, at Real Hip Hop Chess. And I want to really thank everybody who's been checking in on me since I came down with this MRSA staff. I'm about 85% better. Um, Mainly this stuff is soul draining. Like it's not even that I'm in pain as much anymore. Like under my jaw, like my lymph nodes are still sore. And like when I chew, like it hurts to chew anything, you know? Um, But the swelling's gone down and my face is mainly cleared up. And I'm going to be teaching again. So happy. I'm going to be teaching at Zaytuna College in Berkeley. Uh, where I teach chess and jiu-jitsu as a unified class at Zaytuna. And it's just such a fantastic campus and I'm watching everything grow and it is just beautiful. Uh, I definitely encourage you to go check out Zaytuna.edu, which is zaytun Edu, And you're going to see a school that's really amazing, man. So that's where I work. That's where I teach chess and jiu-jitsu and it's fantastic. It's beautiful stuff and I'm grateful to be teaching chess and jujitsu there. So this is going to be my fourth year teaching there, and I want to give a shout-out to uh, Daoud Yassin. I want to give a shout-out to all my students and the faculty and staff over there who made my presence there possible and looking forward to a really dope year. Quick, moving on. uh, Yeah, I'm recovering from the, you know, staff. So I'm feeling good, but I get tired really easily. You know, when your body's fighting these kinds of infections, like, it's really not a joke. So um, I think I explained, like, essentially... I was um, training while I was in London and uh, I went to a school called Memento Mori, also known as uh, the Secret Society of Grapplers, which is in Surrey, uh, about 30, 40 minutes outside of London. And that's probably where I got this, but I didn't get this because like when you have jujitsu, sometimes if people are not clean or people don't keep the mats clean. You can get like, you know, an infection like MRSA or staph in general or something like uh, impetigo, which I got. But this actually happened because I have a depressed immune system. For about six months, my doctors told me that I've had like a depressed immune system and she was not sure why. Uh, She said that she thinks it's because some people of African descent and some Arabs, right, um, will have this thing where their, where their immune system drops for like six or seven months or maybe even a year and then goes back up and it's not really explainable. So she told me that I had that and I knew that I had that. And I was taking B12 because I don't eat as much red meat. Um, as I used to, I almost really rarely eat red meat at all. But, um, she said, you need to take B12, right? So when I went to London, I stopped taking B12 and I was eating much less meat because I was eating really clean while I was out there. And, um, it's because of that, my compromised immune system, that this happened. You know what I mean? So um, this is not an issue of like mat cleanliness or rolling with dirty people or whatever, because that happens. I mean, it's it's you know, jujitsu is is is. High impact, close body contact, end of story. So, you know, any mats that you be on have these kinds of things, but, you know, if you're taking care of your skin and if, meaning like you're showering regularly with antibacterial soap and things like that, which you do, or if you are, um if you are, um what's the other word? Uh, making sure that your mats are clean. Like every, every coach in the game knows what's up now. So like everybody's mats tend to be ridiculously clean. And Memento Mori was a beautiful, super clean, fresh school. Like you should absolutely be going to Memento Mori. Check out the Secret Society of Grapplers if you're in or around Surrey. But this is what happened to me because, you know, my immune system was down. So I got to do this whole new thing where, like, I'm I'm going to be starting to take black seed oil, loricidin, which is a natural uh, fighter of MRSA, right? Um, and I'm going to be taking colostrum, which I used to take all the time, but now I got to take it for real, for real, um, as well as B12. So that's my new, like, internal fight against MRSA and staff. And then outwardly, I'm going to be picking up defense soap. And then there's this other thing that I'm going to be taking to wash on the outside with, but I'm forgetting what it's called right now. I'll remember next show and, I, and I'll tell you. But you know, if if you do jujitsu or if you know anybody that's dealing with a depressed immune system, please pass on what I just shared with you because it, it'll help. So moving on, I got to give some heartbeat props because as much fun as I had in London, right? Like there were people that I did not, catch up with. So I'm going to give a few quick shouts out to people that I intended to kick it with that I did not. Heartbeat props. What are they? If you don't know what heartbeat props are, this is where we give people love for, for, um, being cool as hell. You know what I'm saying? I want you to take five minutes today, call three people who have helped you and be specific to them in thanking them for whatever they've done for you. This is about gratitude. So first off, I'm going to shout out Nattington13, at Nattington13. She um actually is a dope beat maker out there in London, and she's very cool. And she actually, you know what? She is the person who, who taught me about Logic, the, the, the rapper. Like, she sent me his first album and, like, you know what I'm saying? And I really meant to go out there and get 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 connected, but it didn't happen. Shout-out to Naddington13. Shout-out to my homeboy, Nas. How you living, bruh? I ain't forgot, bruh. I know. When I come back, we kicking it. Faisal, same thing. OG me and Faisal go way back to the Bomb magazine. Shout-out to Dave Paul. Faisal and my boy Luke Menace. What's happening, man? You know what I'm saying? We're going to connect, bro. I couldn't get out there, but when I come back, we're going to kick it. And my homeboy at Choke, who, who didn't know I planned to try to connect with him, but I wanted to. But much love to all y'all for being amazing in what you do. Nah, specifically been one of my biggest supporters as a writer from way back. You know what I'm saying? Same thing with Luke, man. So um, to not be able to see you guys was a big deal. You know what I'm saying? If you can, definitely follow at Choke Who. If you enter around London, he's a dope dude. You know what I'm saying? Pushing that no agenda and it's fresh. Now, some quick blunders that I made in the last show. Just want to quickly get over this because I do this a lot, um, unfortunately. I was blundering in my speech a bit. So like, for instance, like... Um, I was calling Nettie in the intro like net. And I think that I was just exhausted when I did my intro because Nettie Robinson is dope. And so I said your name wrong. Nettie, I apologize. You're a hell of an artist and an amazing person. And so I didn't want you to think that I was being disrespectful. I was just uh -uh, a little bit out to lunch. Forgive your boy. You know what I'm saying? And um, also when I was talking, I gave a shout out to a guy that I called Rob One, but that's really at Rob Nasty Rocker. Follow that man right now, at Rob Nasty Rocker. I was shouting out him and his twin brother, Profo One, and I just said Rob One. You know what I'm saying? But I really I really got to shout out Rob Nasty Rocker because y'all got to understand, he's not just a sick B-boy. Him and his brother are amazing dancers. But but we've been doing a screamer since way back. Well, I stopped. <laughs> they kept going. I went on to jujitsu, but they're sick with it, all kind of stuff. But my point is this. Rob Nasty Rocker makes crazy breakbeat records. Please, if you're really about that hip-hop dance and that soul vibe, you need to follow that man immediately and peep his work. You know what I'm saying? He be in America, he be in China, he be doing it. So shout out to Rob Nasty, man. You know what I'm saying? I apologize for uh, speaking on you wrongly, bro. After all these years of knowing you, that was some unacceptable ish right there. Now, you know, full disclosure, you know, even when I butcher names, sometimes I be butchering my own name. Most of the times I butcher my own name. Like when I went to... um, London, right? I met hella Nigerians. Cool Nigerians. Dope Nigerians. All right? Who got love for the OG from the West. But you know what? Even though I have a Nigerian bloodline, the DNA is there. That's right. Shout out to Nigerian Cameroon. What up to the ancestors? Um, I also got to acknowledge that like, Adisa Banjoko is not how you say it. And because when you're around Nigerians, because it's a Nigerian name, like they are not forgiving. And so, you know, when, when they be around you, man, like Nigerians are dope, hella fun people. And they're super accepting. Right. But like, they were hot. Cause like, I don't say my name the way I say it, but you know, like my name, like it's a long story, but like, I came into my name, you know, uh, while studying under Kilu Nyasha, rest in peace forever. Queen right there. Um, she changed my life, uh, teaching me about black politics. And, uh, she was one of the, you know, one of the dopest women in the Black Panther Party. Anyway, um, you know, she was the one, basically, that gave me my name. But, you know, neither me or Kilu is Nigerian. So when I be seeing Nigerians, they be like, <clears throat> my brother, do you know you do not say your name correctly? What? It's pretty sick when you be around Nigerians. It's kind of like always being around, like, Ladysmith Black Mambazo or, like, being at the opening of The Lion King. Because they have so much rhythm in the way that they speak, right? So they'd be like, You do not say your name correctly. You should say Adisa Benjoko. What? Adisa Benjoko. No! Adisa, Adisa, Adi Adisa, Banjo, Banjo, Benjoko banjo-, banjo-, banjo. I don't say it right, bruh. They be on me. But you know what? You know what I'm saying? Me and Kilu, rest in peace, Kilu Nyasha. We from the West, bruh. We out here, you know what I mean? African-American, that's where the American part comes in, you know what I'm saying? Wasn't no Nigerians giving us linguistic lessons, you know what I'm saying, when we going through these African name books, you know what I mean? So, Adisa Banjoko, West Coast for life, thug life, outlaw, and mortals all day, that's how we roll. Ooh, 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 ooh. Nah, for real, for real though, much love to all my uh, Nigerian extended fam in and around London town scene. Um... You know what I also didn't shout out? I didn't talk about, you know, on that Cardi B uh I was talking about how I liked her album, you know, especially that song Get Up Ten. And what I didn't shout out the song. I think it's called Ring um, with Kaylani. Hella hard. But what am I listening to right now? Real quick, real quick. E40. Practice makes paper. Great record. People be trying to act like the OG still ain't got bars and don't got beats. You better get that record. Scarface is on that record. Hella Youngsters is on that record. G Easy's on that record. It's a great album. Practice makes paper. The other album I want to shout out, and who I'm trying to track down is uh my man Spice One Platinum OG. He has a song on there with Lil Easy, Easy E Sung called Studio Gangsters, hard. MC8's on there, hard. That whole album's dope, but that song is out of control. And so, um, closing it out, I got put up on this dude named A1. He's got an album called, uh, The Thurl, T-H-U-R-L, The Thurl Tapes on Spotify. You need to peep that dude. Man, got put up on him by my boy A Wheezy. man. Shout out to you, player. Um, but yeah, he's from Santa Cruz. Bars. Look him up. And then before I go, I just want to just do a quick uh, transition. I was really trying to connect with and interview uh, Roger Gracie and my boy Jordan. Shout out to Jordan. Was trying to connect me. You know what I'm saying? But the timing didn't work out. Next time I go back, God willing, i am be able to interview Roger. And, um, you know, shout out to the Jiu-Jitsu Brotherhood and shout out to at. Paul, Open Mat Radio, shout out to at Jiu-Jitsu Brotherhood because you guys made it so possible. So me and Jordan even connected, you know, because he heard about HHCF through my conversations with y'all on Open Mat Radio. So that means a lot to me. Also trying to hook up with the uh, Jiu-Jitsu Brotherhood next time I go out, no doubt. I want to shout out at Cage Against, the whole team. You know what I'm saying? The it's a podcast, an MMA podcast called Cage Against the Machine. They had me on as a guest before. They just had me back for this upcoming UFC, right where Khabib is going to defend the belt, and it was so fun, it was so amazing. I want you to peep and see how crazy and fun this was. And, you know, I'm just going to be very frank with you. You know like there's this is this is in Abu Dhabi. Right? Shout out to the Abu Dhabi Combat Club. Shout out to Take Sheikh Tanun. Because if it's not for Sheikh Tanoon, you don't have any of the no-gi organizations in America or the world the way you got them right now. I don't care whether you're talking about Polaris, EBI, right? Any of this combat jujitsu. I don't care whether you're talking about uh Copa de Podio. I don't care whether you're talking about fight to win. All y'all are the children of the Abu Dhabi Combat Club. So the fact that Khabib and all and and uh, uh, all these great fighters from Dagestan, et cetera, are, are coming on on this card, I think half the card is Muslim. And let me be clear. I want every Muslim to win. I want every Muslim to win. Right? And I don't want you to be listening to that and be like, yo, Deez out here, wild and awesome, like, MMA Taliban type of vibe. You know what I'm saying? Oh, oh it's a Deesa Bin Laden right now, bro. You know, oh, no, bro. That's not what it is, man. You know me, I'm a spiritual man, I'm about non-violence. I want every Muslim to win right now, for real. Every fight. And they got some cards where Muslims is fight Muslims and I haven't figured out how both of them can win, but I want some to. Why then? What happened to the objective of Dees? What happened to balance the Dees? Bruh, that Dees is still here. You know what I mean? You listening to him, right? What I'm trying to explain to you is this though, real quick. It's no secret that the Muslim world has been in turmoil for a long time. It's no secret. What I want and why I want the Muslims to win is because I need Islam in the world not to actually look better, but to actually be better. I can't stand the terrorism. I can't stand the violence. I can't stand the oppression of women. I can't stand so many things that I see coming out of the Muslim world that I know are not properly Islamic. And what I mean by that is A lot of what you see out there, when Muslims are doing wrong, it's not what they're supposed to be doing. And I'm not excusing it. My hope though is that if these Muslims can fight fantastically in Abu Dhabi, if Khabib can go out there and maintain the dignity and clarity that I would hope a Muslim champion manifests, like he does to me, I love Khabib, man. I want him to win, man, right? That I think that the Muslim world can find a new humanity in more jujitsu, in more MMA, cultivating these higher spiritual and mental aspects of themselves, finding their own humanity in the sport and being forced through the training to acknowledge the humanity and beauty of all others in this fantastic spectrum of humanity that we all exist in. That's what I want. That's why I want the Muslims to win. In the spirit of Muhammad Ali, I want them to win. In the spirit of Malcolm X, I want them to win. In the spirit of only the best Islamic competitors that have ever lived, I want them to win. So this ain't no Islamic fanatic, you know what I'm saying, Taliban addict, whatever, bro. This is a Muslim who wants to see better things coming out of the Muslim community. And I believe that this fight will be a huge turning point for the Muslim world and for MMA. Because I'm telling you, y'all ain't seen nothing out of the Muslim world in terms of fighters. Y'all ain't seen nothing outside of, out of Africa yet. Africa ain't even really got started in MMA, bruh. Y'all tripping off nganu now? Bruh, he's brand new. He's brand new. 10 years from now, y'all fisting a really know Really no. And you're going to get kids 10, 15 years from now that are going to tell you, you know what? I saw that fight in Abu Dhabi and I knew that's what I wanted to do because I saw Khabib take Justin Poirier and throw him outside the cage. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I even like Dustin, bro. I just feel bad you got to go there and get dismantled by Khabib like this. Thanks for showing up though. You're a G. And with no further adieu. We are going to get into this part two of Bishop Chronicles. Now, I mean, London episodes, boy. Um, This is my interview with Stefan Zoll at Stefan Z-O-L-L-S-T-E-F-A-N-Z-O-L-L. Follow this dude. He is a true warrior scholar. I can't wait for you to hear this, okay? Uh, He's an amazing man with an amazing journey. Uh, plus, he makes hip-hop beats that are dope, and he actually plays several musical instruments. He comes from a highly musical family, and uh, he also plays chess. So, it's about to go down. Enjoy this and understand that you don't have to be a jujitsu jitsu player, practitioner to appreciate this. This is a great story about one man's journey, right? One man's journey through life, finding himself. And so... Here we go, FarsideTV.com, Sidelife Radio, BishopChronicles.com. You understand? This is Bishop Chronicles. Enjoy. Peace to the planet Earth. You know what it is. Deesa Banjoko, the bishop of hip-hop, live and direct. I told you we got these UK sessions, man. It's really not a joke. I'm bringing the hardest-hitting people on every level. So you know I'm not going to come out here and not, like, do anything on jiu-jitsu. i be so disrespectful. And if I was going to come out here, I would have to talk to the one and only Stefan Zoll. All right? So we're going to talk in depth. This dude is a master of jiu-jitsu. He's he, been teaching in Saudi. He, he He's wicked, gi and no gi. He's got his black belt under Liborio, who if you know your jiu-jitsu history, you know that's not a joke, bro. You know ain't nobody playing, bro. Ricardo Liborio, bro. You know what I'm saying? So... Without any further adieu, Stefan Zoll, welcome to the Bishop Chronicles. How you doing, brother? Nice to hear. Nice to see you. Nice Man. to have
1: you in the flesh.
0: I know, right? We're, we're recording in Leeds today. Leeds, which is how far from
1: London? It's about a it's two and a half hour trip, about 200 miles north, directly north.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Beautiful stuff, though. Just had some fish and chips they and were they were great authentic now you're living the authentic the real life the, the real british lifestyle <laughs> we'll have you speaking the queen's english very soon unlikely which we'll <laughs> i s- try to save you <laughs> we'll save, maybe influence you positively and, <laughs> we'll you <know>. see <laughs> but
0: yo man <laughs> um i uh i was lucky enough to take a class with with uh stefan earlier
1: this week at uh was that the secret society of grapplers is that where that was <laughs> well it was check in surrey um, yeah it was called reigate martial arts reigate martial arts run by a friend of mine i trained with check about five years ago mm-hmm. some check black belts um over here so yeah just I'm, I'm staying in the area for a few weeks so I asked him to yeah so i could go down train a little bit and yeah doing the occasional class there at the moment mm-hmm. now um, you've been a black belt for how long so uh, I, I took my black belt January 2016 so this is my fourth year now excellent uh, excellent one,
0: Yeah. and you 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 awarded your belt under Ricardo Liborio yeah
1: yeah I had the honor to have Liborio uh, tie the belt around my waist be there in person uh, I had trained with him on a number of occasions in the previous four years to 2016, um, and also a number of his black belts, including Fabiano Silva mm-hmm. and Renato Tavares. Um, so yeah, training with some some of his top top black belts, um, just kind of polishing up my game. You know, mm-hmm. added some you know, quite a lot of wrestling as well, uh, which which I think really helped me turn a corner in. Becoming a black belt that I would like to be, and, mm, and I—that's I, deep,
0: man. Talk about that. Talk about that. The black belt that you would like to be, mm. because I, you know, as a as a as a struggling brown, <laughs> um, you know, you have this this trepidation. You have this inner stress, right, where you're mm. just like, yo, what about what about that? What about what about that? Mm. And you know, because that you know you 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 visualize this person who is the master you hope to be and and you 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 survey weak areas or whatever you know talk to me about the master that you would like to be mm.
1: well i i mean it's it's kind of like we're talking archetypes i mean you obviously we can never or we would be be very difficult to achieve perfection Mm -hmm. in anything but i think it's about striving for that now being the best that you can be is very subjective it depends on the individual each individual will always have his own barometer his own level or, or measure of uh kind of success and he will have also constraints upon what he's able to achieve he or she is able to achieve based upon the um, the current kind of situation you know what about the guy with like two kids like you know he's working hard what about he's, the guy with three yeah a guy with three kids <laughs> <Adisa> Benji, <probably. laughs> uh you know the guys he's working hard he's doing a lot of you know he can only train maybe twice a week or whatever you know i i would ask, say to that person that you should be reasonable reasonable upon yourself Mm. in terms of of what you can achieve in jujitsu or what your expectations are Yeah, your expectations you know just be be reasonable be realistic you know um but that will not stop you from being the best you can be you know be the best that you can be in everything that you do and that's 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 part of my philosophy in uh, in life, you know, whether it's jiu-jitsu, whether it's, uh, you know, whatever sport you're engaged in, mm-hmm. whether it's being a father, wh- whether it's being a friend, you know, be the best father you can be, be the best um, you know, husband you can be, be yeah. the best son that you can yeah. be. Yeah, uh, yeah. So so the wrestling helped
0: fill up some of those anxieties for you technically.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, and for me, I... I have my own personal view of what I think uh, a good or a solid black belt should have. What are, what like the, what are minimums, those? What are
0: those things? What are those baselines?
1: I think a black belt in jujitsu should be a should be a good grappler. Should be competent at grappling. Now I've I've met many black belts who admit it admit it themselves that they don't pay any attention to takedowns. For mm. example, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I've been to many a class black belt class where they don't teach takedowns is very rare uh, and also traditional gi guys often they they shy away from no gi so you know you will find black belts who've been black belts for many years but they kind of get they get stuck in in their ways you know it's a very myopic view of, of jiu-jitsu but for me I don't just view a black belt as being the one that I wear with my gi. I I, I'd like to be a black belt in grappling. So, you know, for me developing all elements of my grappling game was, was very important in, in being able to say, okay, you know, I, I feel like I'm a black belt. Mm -hmm. And so I've always applied equal amounts of effort into my no gi game as my gi game. And, you know, the, the study, relevant to both as well so takedowns that are gi orientated takedowns that are uh, no gi orientated mm-hmm. and also being able to have distinct games gi and no gi um and yeah that that's what i believe makes if you like the most complete black belt the most complete grappler and that's that's what, how i teach my students as well i teach my students uh, a curriculum that encompasses gi and no gi has takedowns so yeah it's basically i I want to be as a complete uh black belt grappler as possible not just one that is uh focused solely upon the gi game i want to be able to have produce students Mm. as well that Mm -hmm. are able to To play all different types of games as well, which is which is why I don't limit myself in terms of studying grappling as right. well. I'll try to get knowledge from everybody. I don't discount knowledge from anyone. Or it's
0: deep, right? How people get, um, how certain schools or certain coaches can get um, into their own groove and like lose elements. You know, that's one thing um, I'm grateful for. My instructor Gumby. You know, what I'm saying um, he's never been that way. You know, he's never been that way he's like yo if it's hot you know let's look into it let's check it out let's see you know it's limits you know what i mean and um i think that's why 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 our school heroes why it does so well you know what i mean because he's he's never done that and i think it also limits people it also limits coaches in terms of being good coaches for all kinds of students you know you go to certain jujitsu gyms right so here's a guy um he is 5'8, 175, you know what I'm saying? And all of his best fighters are guess what? 5'8, 175. Yeah. Right? You get a guy who's 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 215, he's not as good as the re- as the rest of the guys, right? Or vice versa, you get like a big jujitsu dude, right? And then he can't teach the 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 five, eight dudes anything. Yeah, I think yeah. that you know, um, It's funny to watch that happen because certain schools have certain kinds of styles, like certain schools will attack in the transition, you know what I mean? Others are known for passing, others are known for for guard games, you know, like Heroes Dudes, you don't know what that guy's going to be like, you know, you can look at a certain school and be like, all right, this fool's going to try to do some wrestling and then he's going to be garbage from the top, so let's look for the sweep, or or vice versa, and then... um, you know, at Heroes, that doesn't happen. You know, you get a long, lanky dude, some heavy set short dude, you don't know what they're going to do because he's going to pull out the best fighter in them, and that may be totally different than the next fighter on the team.
1: Yeah. I mean, for me, as a middleweight, I think I've always had that ability to traverse both types of games, mm-hmm. if you like, so a game that can be a top-heavy pressure type of game and also a bottom game that can be versatile um and and whenever i see a student who has particular gifts in one one area for example he's flexible mm. you know i'm going to emphasize certain aspects of jujitsu to him which i might not emphasize to the guy he's a little bit maybe he's he's not as flexible he's a little bit bigger he's going to play a different game yeah but at the same time i want i want people to try every element of jujitsu, of mm-hmm. course and, and like you said i tend to uh, I, I like an instructor who can show me all types of jujitsu. Mm-hmm. You know, jujitsu for a smaller guy, jujitsu for a bigger guy. Every element of the game, you know, passing, takedowns, top game, bottom game. Um, again, that that comes back to being the best black belt that you can be. Mm-hmm. And you, you, like I said, nobody is perfect. Nobody can be complete, but we can have kind of an archetype that we want to achieve. So. So as I said, for me, I want to be well-versed in takedowns. I want to be well-versed in no-gi. I want to be well-versed in gi techniques of all dimensions, top game, bottom game, pressure passing, speed passing, um, and be able to teach that to my students and be able to direct them as well and and push them into a particular path that suits their physique and suits Mm -hmm. their their natural abilities and their
0: psychology yeah yeah
1: each guy's gonna be a little bit different everybody you know i've had had hundreds of students maybe thousands of different kids Mm -hmm. i've seen all types of body shapes all sizes all psychologies Mm -hmm. Uh, of course you you get diamonds within that yeah and i see them very quickly i see especially the kids you see kids who are just incredibly well coordinated from an early age and you see athleticism that is natural Mm -hmm. um and that's a marvel marvel to behold you know when you see kids like that, you teach them something and they just they get it straight away um obviously a little bit less so with the adults but you know i still get very good adults coming in athletic backgrounds but Again, that doesn't mean that you can't become a black belt in jiu-jitsu, which is a beautiful thing. You know, whoever you are, whatever your background, your your body type, your mental state, mm-hmm. I think anybody can become a black belt in jiu-jitsu. No, no, I think I'm glad you feel that way because I'm having a hard time. <laughs> so,
0: <laughs> but, you know, I mean, you know, I, I you know, I'm just like, I'm either going to get my black belt or I'm going to die. Whichever comes first. I'm just, you know what I'm saying, whatever long it takes. I, I'm not leaving, you know what I'm saying? I I take breaks. I have injuries. I have, you know, real life dramas or whatever, but like I never fully quit. That's the thing that I learned is like, you know, I never fully quit. Life can can throw you massive loops and you do get like injuries or you know what i'm saying but like i never fully quit i may be off the road a little bit but i never fully quit i never allow myself to quit and if i feel like i'm going getting into the quitting zone i make sure i train you know
1: everybody has a story to tell you know everybody has a story to tell and i think also if you achieve a black belt in a legitimate black belt in jiu-jitsu there's a, there's a huge story behind that as will your Mm -hmm. your black belt will tell a huge story about your life you know the amount of years it took you to get it the amount of sacrifice you know the pain that you felt during that time It's you know i I remember everything over the past kind of uh 20 years (coughs) 20 years or so that i've been involved in grappling i remember the first time i started training which was which was around 2000 maybe 1999 Mm and seeing jiu-jitsu for the first time and i was was it ufc i'm assuming or well it it was i had a friend of mine i was doing some some social work some youth work in deprived areas of my home city of leeds Mm -hmm. and uh this guy was called max gillespie and i I only realized it kind of later but he was he was amongst the pioneers really of of mma and jiu-jitsu in the uk and because in 2000, 1999, 2000, you know, just there were very, very few jujitsu gyms in yeah. the UK. I mean, you could probably count on one hand the number yeah. of people who, who, who knew, knew it and did what it. was going on, you know. Mm. So this was, this was 2000, that's nearly 20 years ago. Um, um, this, this very good friend of mine, he's just an unsung hero in, in life, you know, as mm. many people, you know. Mm. Um, they don't get the, the recognition. Papa Perhaps they deserve, but this guy, Max Gillespie, he doesn't even follow social media or anything. This guy is but he he was uh, an incredible, incredible martial artist. Um and he he's the one that really set me off on the path of jujitsu and, and having a love for mm-hmm. jujitsu. Um and it was only kind of a little bit later, maybe in the mid 2000, 2005, that I really started Training a lot, you know, like more than three times a week. I just was kind of in and out of it, Mm -hmm. kind of early 2000. I was at my university as well. I went to university during that time. Um, And
0: where were you going to school at?
1: Well, it was, I mean, just after uh, 9-11, which was 2001. Yeah. um, I was at a crossroads in my life. I'd just finished playing professional football. Uh, soccer, soccer
0: for the Americans. For the Americans I yeah. knew he was going to say that because, <laughs> yeah, I had,
1: to clar- I had to clarify. You guys have stolen our uh, our national talk about name. cultural appropriation. How yeah. <laughs> dare you, Americans? Shock and awe throughout the world steal your steal your names of your games as well. Football. Um, so yeah I was playing soccer in the French second division um, and I did I had a one-year contract that that ended I came back to the UK trying to get back into professional soccer but it was super tough game Um, at that age I was like 19 20 years old about about that and uh, there's so many young players Mm. each year that are trying to be successful, but it's a very small percentage mm-hmm. that actually make it through to the top level. Mm-hmm. I ended up making money playing at the lower levels in in the UK, which you, you know, still get paid many kind of levels down. Yeah, um, because obviously soccer is like our national huge game. Yeah, it's very popular. So uh, I kept making money, kind of right until about 2007, after my university degree. But uh, like I said, after finishing playing professional soccer i i realized I, I need to get an education i need to yeah. have options and yeah um, i kind of i don't really know why i ended up choosing a language I, I, I the way the i kind of rationalized it was i was always very impressed at my father's linguistic abilities because he was german so my, my dad's 100 percent german born in germany mm-hmm. Uh, but he always spoke English to me, so mm. I was quite I was quite amazed at his ability to really communicate in depth in in a second language. Yeah, you know, and so he'd just speak exclusively English to me, and I, I kind of now I I lament, you know, I, I say well, I used to say to him, I wish you spoke German to me because it would have been such a useful mm. tool for mm-hmm. me to have a you know a second language, mm-hmm. a foreign language. Um, and then he would later on go my father he would later on move to france and he he lived in france for 25 years he ha- he had some more kids so i have a half brother and half sister who are french who he spoke exclusive exclusively french with as well
0: unbelievable so
1: you know what you've got is a man speaking a third language yeah. to his children communicating from know, day one from day one in a third language so i was i was you know, I always marveled the at the discipline man that he could just switch between language. I mean, you know, my father was, you know, he recently passed away and about six months ago, he was, I mean, by all accounts, I, I would say he was a genius, you know. Yeah, I mean, I mean like he was, he was a, he was an accomplished musician. Well, yeah. he was a concert pianist, you know, on my birth certificate. My my UK birth certificate. He's down his profession. You know, you have to have, list the profession yeah. of your your mother and your father. My mother was a teacher. My father was listed as a concert pianist. Yeah, that was his profession. So he played um the piano. He was a pianist, um, and he played all over the world. He soloed at some of the biggest classical music venues in, in the world: the Sydney Opera House, the Royal Albert Hall. Uh, here in the UK, he played private concert uh, for one of the sultans. I think it was the Sultan of Oman. Um, Out of control. So he he lived a very interesting life, you know, fascinating. He was very enigmatic, very enigmatic, very difficult to penetrate mm-hmm. as a human being. Um, and, you know, with his passing, we were left with really more questions than... Uh, yeah just more questions than anything else it was it was a very marvelous life that mm-hmm. he led but yeah his ability in languages kind of set me off mm-hmm. on a particular path um and I said to myself right I want to learn language I want yeah. to do it you know so I, I kind of had a decision I wanted I said to myself I want to do a non-European language I want yeah. to do something a little bit different right something um, off the wall so I kind of had in my mind okay I'm gonna do maybe Chinese yeah or Japanese or Russian or Arabic I, I, I had those four yeah. in my mind you know <clears throat> but then like I said it was just recently after September the 11th 2001 yeah so there was a lot of focus on the Middle East of at course. that time as, as you imagine like it came right to the forefront of, of modern politics um so I ended up Choosing Arabic, and I did a bachelor's degree, a four-year course at the University of Leeds um, here in the UK. Um, and I spent one year as part of that course living in Morocco. How was Morocco? Talk to me. Uh, I heard the food's popping. Ah, Morocco is amazing. Amazing, yeah. I used to eat uh, breakfast with locals, mm-hmm. uh, which, was, which was fantastic. Uh, every morning I'd have a dish called bisara. Mm-hmm. What is that? What's um, that made of? It was, you might have heard of it under the term fool. Okay. So it's a bean dish. Okay. Um, it's spicy, yeah. You can have it spicy. They have like spice chili to the side mm-hmm. that you can sprinkle in. But mm. throughout the Arab world, like North Africa and then into the Middle East, it, uh, bean dishes are quite a staple type of yeah. food. You know, yeah. you find. I would later travel to all parts of the Arab world. Um, I lived in Sudan. I was volunteering in Sudan for quite a few months um, one summer. Mm -hmm. And they had their own version of uh, this bean dish. Same. They would actually call it fool. Right. So so that's more traditional Arabic or Arab term, ful. It's very nutritious, just bean dishes. Yeah, yeah. (laughs)
0: So that's, that's, that's really amazing. So then how is it that you end up teaching in Saudi Arabia? Like, how did yeah. that, that come well, to I mean, pass?
1: Obviously, studying Arabic, it kind of gave me a key. It was a gateway into mm-hmm. the Arab world. So it did take me into the Arab world in, in a number of different ways. I, I did some volunteering in different countries just so I could practice my Arabic first and foremost. Mm-hmm. You know, like, so I went to Sudan uh, I went to Syria just before the war, which was an incredible experience as well. What,
0: what parts of Syria were you in? You know, we did a we did a show with a guy from Homs. Oh yeah, you know it was yeah. very powerful. I, I'll send you the link, but um, you know, I I I, I still think that the world does not appreciate the history of syria properly man especially in the west especially in america like we don't understand when you look at the problems in syria you're looking at uh a country that's so important to muslims christians and jews for so many different reasons for scholarship and all this other stuff talk to me about um your perspectives on syria just you know some of the things you might have seen and and the things you took away yeah
1: well yeah i mean like you said there's there's a if you like, let's call it an intellectual deficit mm-hmm, mm-hmm. In, in the Western understanding mm-hmm, of the mm-hmm. Arab world. Um, it's just really a lack of ability to penetrate the psyche of of the Arab world. I and mean, it's there are various terms that we've coined to. Uh, refer to that study, for example, Orientalism mm-hmm. was an, uh, a term that I encountered early in my studies yeah. of the Arab world, which is essentially, you know, the Western perspective on the Arab world. So it's it's a phenomenological view of the Arab world, which means a study from the outside in, mm-hmm. rather than a study from the inside out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my university professor he would he would say this he'd say look well we're we're studying Arabic and Islamic studies but it's a phenomenological study we're studying from the outside into the Arab world Mm -hmm. we don't have an agenda we don't have a bias which I, I from my own personal development and my intellectual understanding and of the Arab world, I felt that was very valuable to be able to study Arabic and Islamic studies without a particular agenda. Right. I mean, you could argue, yeah, they maybe had an agenda, but, I mean, I was exposed to literature and, and like, li- Arabic literature, that was simply it's forbidden in some parts of the Arab world. For example, Saudi Arabia, um, you know, a lot of literature on the Islamic world Throughout mm. the ages, mm-hmm. is forbidden. It's forbidden. Do you have like an
0: example of that? Like what?
1: Well, I I studied a group called the Ikhwan al-Safa, mm-hmm. um, which is loosely translated as the Brotherhood of Purity or mm-hmm. the Brethren of Purity. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, this was a famous group that existed in uh, medieval Iraq. The, the exact origins, they uh, they're not actually sure. It was m- not likely one in single individual rather a group of philosophers mm. um that were embracing uh ancient greek philosophy and also modern islamic thought, mm. and trying to be very progressive with the way that they viewed islam in terms of the society uh, in societies as a whole and also the 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 whole world if you like and its relationship with islam um and because that was more of a um it was more of an open interpretation of islam it was uh, not it was frowned upon by many what we, you could call yeah. conservatives or yeah. you know, strains of islamic thought that came later on that were more um Focused upon the legalistic elements mm-hmm. of Islam, you know, focusing on rules and regulations. Right. Whereas, for example, think, for example, Sufi thought is more. It was moving away from a legalistic interpretation of Islam right. and more on the aesthetic and the yeah. kind of the metaphysical yeah. realities of our existence. You know, you, you know where I came across that term, the Iqan
0: al-Safa, is um, is is the Dao of Islam. Uh, a book on Taoism oh, nice, very nice, uh powerful book man uh you'd probably get a kick out of it I think uh
1: well encountering their literature I, I, you know the thing is there's very little translated into English mm-hmm. so like I said so what 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 are we finding here we're finding that there's a great depth of knowledge and a great depth of intelligent work that has yet to reach
0: be shared and understood
1: shared throughout the world you know but it's there right it is there it does exist um, and I, I I can only lament that Unfortunately, you know, we just we we can't dissipate that to a greater extent amongst the the Arab world and and the global yeah. community.
0: It's kind of like a, a dual deficit, right? Because the Muslims don't have it, and the West doesn't have it. Right? Yeah. It's like at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> hey, here's a treasure chest. But anyway,
1: you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like both sides are not not. Uh... Well, this tends to be the nature of of human beings. So I kind of like I got to the point where I stopped. I used to find intellectual debate on, on modern Islamic mm. thought kind of interesting, and I would would try to you know discuss these things with different Muslims from different yeah. intellectual backgrounds and and kind of uh, thoughts um, or, or with different paradigms mm. of Islamic thought as such. But I just kept kind of reaching. Kind of dead ends with with many people, because people are so
0: embedded, bro. Yeah. Like nobody really wants to debate; everybody just wants to win, yeah. right? Like I'm hard left, you're hard right, blah, yeah. and then just like it's like no one's willing to be like that was actually a really good point. No, no one, no one's ready to do that.
1: Yeah, I, I moved away from from really even engaging in any mm-hmm. kind of religious or political debate with people, kind of in mm-hmm. the mid two thousands when I realized that the vast majority of people are are even those that kind of think they've liberated themselves to some extent of more enslaved themselves even mm. greater than than it's they so believe deep. so
0: it's so deep
1: yeah i i just i i have to just come back every single day just remind myself how little that i understand of 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 anything and i, I yeah think that's a really good starting point for for everybody if you can set out in a day every day of your life and and just say to yourself, well, you you don't really know anything, you know, Yeah. you might think you have an idea about, about something, whatever, but still, you know, I think we're we're at such a deficit of human understanding and yeah, I mean, that's, uh, no, I think that's fair. That philosophy goes into my, my, jiu So, well, so, you
0: know? <laughs> so, bring us back into the opportunity that so that set up your opportunity to teach in Saudi. What was what? Tell me about the day they were like, all right. So we're looking at maybe having you teach in Saudi. Who was it? Where where were you? Who told you? And what happened after that?
1: Well, I just just backtrack a little yeah. bit. So after I finished my degree, which was two thousand and six. Um, I got the opportunity to teach English in Saudi Arabia. It Mm. was like a common thing people would do. And obviously I I thought, okay, I can go and practice my Arabic. I didn't really Mm. know what to expect of Saudi. I'd heard many things, but I had that kind of intrepid nature. I wanted to find out for myself what Saudi Arabia was really like. Um, So, yeah, I ended up uh, teaching English there from 2007 until about 2012, 2012. I taught at a number of different places. I taught at a couple of universities and I, I taught at a British international school. Also, I taught a little bit, bit of Arabic at the mm. international school, which was which was fun. Uh, but primarily, I was an English teacher. Mm. Um, and now during this time in Saudi, I, I'd start, I mean, basically... The moment I got to Saudi, I stopped playing football. So I I wanted something to replace that. So it was jujitsu. It was jujitsu. So I just I found the highest ranked guy I could find mm-hmm. over there, which was a brown belt at mm-hmm. the time. And um, you were what rank at that time? I was, time? A, I was a, I, I think I was a blue belt. Okay. Uh, 2007, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I just went over there, and I I, I don't really know anything. I, I didn't really feel like I had much jiu-jitsu knowledge, you know. Right. I just I wanted to train, I wanted to learn. Yeah. But there just weren't many people training. Right, you know? right. So, yeah, I can
0: imagine that place would have been a a, a real wasteland. Yeah. In terms it, of jujitsu,
1: it was it was literally a wasteland. As far as I know. Yeah. According to my knowledge, I would say there were no black belts there until, man. I, think around 2012
0: yeah shout out
1: to my boy ali because he's staying
0: in Riyadh, and that's what he was saying too right, you know right. what i'm saying around that same time for real like yeah. i remember those i remember those times
1: i mean the history uh, is quite funny because kind of later on people were they were trying to make the saudi jiu-jitsu federation mm. uh just to kind of fast forward mm. just a little just to illustrate this point and they made an appeal to ask people who were the first people doing jiu-jitsu in Saudi Arabia, and apparently, like fifty people came out and said, "Oh yeah, I've I had students, I had schools, yeah, I was teaching jujitsu, and I hadn't heard of any of these." You're guys. like for real, <laughs> you know?
0: I, was, <laughs> I lived around the corner from there, man. I got my shawarma across the street. I never saw you.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was like, <laughs> the first thing I did, I I tried to seek out the best guys that I could mm. find, and I I made sure I did that. Um, and it wasn't easy, you know. Like the guy I, I was. Who was my instructor, he 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 had a full time job, he he wasn't really invested in yeah. training, you know. I, I hold nothing against him. I I ended up teaching the classes at Bluebell. Right. Know? So at Bluebell, I was I ended up taking over mm-hmm. the, the academy. So this was around maybe two thousand and eight, two thousand and nine. Mm-hmm. So Bluebell. Um now, so that was for better or for worse, but what it meant as a teacher it was it meant every summer when i came back to england i would have three months to go to and just, just dig just dig and so what that from about 2008 to 2012 i spent every summer trying to grab as much knowledge as i could so i spent a couple of summers at roger gracie academy I used to travel for like two hours from South London, four-hour round trip, mm. just to go and train at Roger Gracie Academy. That
0: sacrifice. Nobody huh? knew
1: who I was. I you know, I was just this random guy that that showed. Right. Me. Um, but my I trained with a lot of lot of super tough guys. Um, and he had obviously one of the biggest academies sure. in London. So for there was sure. a lot of people on Shout the Shout out. Um, but yes yeah, so i would use those summers I, I mean to be honest like a week's worth of training was equivalent to like right. nine months back over there. right right so I, I was just going super hard and just kind of assimilating as much as i could i, I spent some time at carson gracie's also based in london which was a, again one of the first um proper hardcore jujitsu gyms in london super good level there you know very intense um so i trained there one summer quick question yeah what how would
0: you differentiate um the styles of any degree between carlson's and and rogers in terms of in terms of in terms of style of play because i mean yeah i just want to hear it I well, yeah, it I mean, it's just
1: experience. interesting, reflecting now upon my own philosophy of teaching, similar to mm. what we discussed earlier on regarding, for example, takedowns. Uh, uh, Roger Gracie's, I only ever learned judo-based takedowns, for mm. example. Mm-hmm. Uh, Carlson's, I, honestly, man, it was so long ago, maybe 2009, to 2008, I can't really remember much of. I just remember I was. it was mainly kind of bottom game, but I, I just always felt like, to be honest anywhere that i trained and and that's i, I don't mean to disrespect any right, right. Uh, any gym and, and obviously things may be different but it was really only when i started training with wrestlers later on in in my brown belt at, at arena in right. saudi that i i kind of embraced and i found wrestling those aspects um but yeah other than that both both of those gyms were super tough yeah. and had tough guys. And a lot of those guys I trained with have gone on to become black belts and really solid black belts. Yeah,
0: both schools turn out
1: yeah, beasts. Yeah. <laughs> There every a, day <laughs> there's a really good UK uh, UK black belt called Kareem Shah um, he was living in Saudi I think he's still living in Saudi mm-hmm. actually so he was he would come and train I trained with him first in like 2009 mm. then he rolled up at our gym in Saudi in like I don't know 2014 and, yeah. and he, you know he would train with us quite regularly and he was one of the toughest um, guys I've ever rolled with man we he really helped l- raise the level of my game, game. Um, and yeah, fortunately once, so just to kind of bring everything mm. together, 2012, I finished training, um, and I, s- I finished teaching in 2012, sorry, uh, but I've been teaching and I've been trying to kind of raise the status of jujitsu and, and mm-hmm. train and, and bring people together as much as I could. And I started making a little money on the side from jujitsu, you know, mm. do private classes and, um, I... I was given the opportunity. I, I a guy came to the class one day. He said, "Oh, you know, we're we're setting up this gym. You know, it's a multi-million dollar gym here in Jeddah. Um, it's going to be amazing." I, you know, when, when the guy came up to me, I was like, "Man, I, I, I don't believe it. I'll believe it when I see it." Mm-hmm. You know. And he was like, "Yeah, it's going to be an, like an MMA gym. We're going to have a full-size octagon. We're going to have a massive mm-hmm. mat area. We'll have CrossFit there as well. It's going to be, you know, the only." gym like, like that it. in right. in the whole of the middle east um so this guy he trained with me quite a bit and um he was adamant that he wanted me involved in the project mm-hmm. from day one so mm-hmm. it got to the point the project ended up materializing in around i think it was 2013 2014 or was it yeah 2013 um and yeah, it just happened. he He brought me into the office one day and he showed me the plans for the gym. And you were so like, "What?" He, he was like, "Oh, should we do this color scheme?" and I was like well that's that's a multimillion dollar decision. You're asking me to get involved <laughs> in here you know <laughs> uh, and literally he he showed me from day one the color scheme that they used and in, into what became uh arena yeah. which which was at the time, I believe the largest martial arts and crossfit gym yeah. in the whole uh it, perhaps the whole world it, it predates the the new att facility that came later american yeah. top team facility so it was just a massive project um and you know f- to be involved from day one yeah I I just felt. What
0: kind of pressure? Did you feel immense pressure? Like, are you just like, I got this because I know jujitsu? I don't need to worry about the other aspects of it, or 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 or? or are you just hyped? Like, let's go! Like, wh- wh- where was your head at? Like, w- once you realize it's happening and mm-hmm. I'm in this, where was your head at? Training wise and coach wise, what was the trainer in you saying? Like, like as a student of the sport, and what was the the coach saying?
1: <coughs> well, the thing is, it was it was everybody's dream who's mm-hmm. pretty much training in, ju- in mm-hmm. Jiu-Jitsu. Jiu- that is the opportunity to do it full-time, you mm-hmm. know, because there were so few opportunities, especially as a lower belt. Like I was, by that time I received a brown belt mm. um, from, uh, he was actually a Hicks and Gracie black belt, just to kind of backtrack yeah. a little bit. Um, I found this guy, this guy randomly showed up to my gym, um, probably around and. The, 11 maybe mm-hmm. uh his name was Serge Vernet mm-hmm. uh and it turned out he'd trained with Hickson in the 90s he Tight. got he got his black belt um uh, from Hickson mm-hmm. so he's a Hickson Gracie black belt I think it was uh, Fabio Santos by way of Hickson who right. gave him the black belt um so this guy he ended up promoting me to to purple to brown right as well so like that's how i went up with right with him and man he changed my game and he gave me a lot of confidence in terms of my technical ability and and just helped me with the deficit that i was experiencing being in saudi with not many mm-hmm. people to train with mm-hmm. um, that and, vacuum of, yeah. of, of wisdom and then then arena came about and it was it was, yeah, man, it was just like a no-brainer. I was like, Yeah, I have to be involved in this project. And the idea was I would be a coach, I would be teaching some adult classes, but you know, primor- primarily focusing upon the kids' program. Um, we had some and of course I knew Laborio was involved from yeah. day one in, yeah. in the whole project. So Liborio's black belts were due to be heading the program. So mm. we had we had it ended up being two, two Laborio Black Belts heading the program before I ended up taking over the program mm-hmm. um, in 2000 and... Uh, I think it was 2015 I took over the program. Um, but yeah, just the ability, the ability to train with those Black Belts and also train with Laborio himself and mm-hmm. have his guidance, have his input into my development and also my teaching development was was fantastic talk to me about that
0: because this is really funny because you know uh i just interviewed denny prokopos you know yeah and uh he was telling me about uh you know and he told me years ago man like when he first trained with Liborio in florida uh <coughs> he he would he, he would talk to me about him all the time just mm. how amazing he was and how much he learned and how nice he was and you know what i mean um obviously I've, I've never met him but I, I i felt somewhat shocked especially with denny's origins being you know under eddie bravo and 10th planet i would have thought that he didn't you know what i mean that he would have either 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 been dismissive of him at best you know what i mean at best been dismissive but hmm. you know they were always extra warm and i had told denny before i bailed i was like hey man i'm, I'm coming out here i might, I might see laborio because he's got a He's got a seminar, I'm trying to catch it. And he was like, hey, hey, tell him I said what's up. Like he was all excited, you know what I mean? And so that's always stayed with him. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? That's always stayed with him. So so you, you, you're the only other person I know that's, that's gotten a train with him. So I want to hear about him because I've always been a fan from afar, okay? So tell me about what what you got from him, what you learned from him and things like that.
1: Well, more than anything else, what what immediately connected laborio and i was was our philosophy it was a shared philosophy of the martial arts Mm. um, which i kind of found i didn't see it in every guy that i trained with i had some bad experiences with some people but i really believed in if you like the uh the marriage of philosophy and the martial arts Mm -hmm. and i felt that to me i felt it was critical it was to underpin philosophy the martial arts with philosophy yeah man like you have to have in my opinion you have to have them together and we we spoke about this uh, i did mention this a little bit to you before it's kind of like the archetype of the warrior scholar true uh which i believe again is part of being the best black belt that you can be you know it it is being that that samurai archetype the Mm. one who is both educated Um, with the pen but also with the sword as well you know so the ability to be a great martial artist but also be able to converse with all types of people and to explain your your discipline with them i think is is a huge part of being um a complete black belt or, or a black belt that is is someone who can really spread positivity with um what is essentially a very violent, violent art, you mm-hmm. know. Mm. Um, but you know, we don't have to portray it to be that way. Uh, I remember some. I remember hearing a quote, and it's probably a controversial thing to say. But I, I heard someone say, um, "There are bad people in the world capable of great violence. Mm. So perhaps what we need in the world are good people capable of greater violence." Mm-hmm. You know, and listen, I hate violence. I hate violence, but I've seen so much darkness in people. Yeah. Um, But I want to believe in good, you know, I want to believe that people can be good. Um, But we should be strong, we should be competent, we should be physically able to defend ourselves, to defend our families, to defend those that we love and not be victims, you know, not to be people who are bullied. Mm-hmm. by by oppressors in this world because mm-hmm. there are people who abuse their their position in different ways. And yeah, this, this their influence. Could, yeah, this could be both physical and mental. Spiritual. You know? Yeah, spiritual. Intellectually. Um which is again so that that's having the ability to be the warrior scholar. So I, I can if if we are the archetype of the warrior scholar we are able to or at least have the ability to fend off mm-hmm. whatever comes our way intellectually, spiritually that is oppressive mm-hmm. and against our nature mm-hmm. Of course we're talking kind of abstract concepts yeah here, yeah, but yeah. that mean, all
0: means different things to different people but yeah, it's real though
1: I mean if, if you understand what I'm saying and this this is what I, I talk about you know whenever I have a new student I, I say you know this is what I I, I want for you what i want for myself yeah you know, what i feel has benefited me you know jiu-jitsu changed my life you know studying changed my life yeah intellectual development changed my life um and of course it's an ongoing process it's a never-ending process being a black belt is not the end uh, of course yeah the, cl- the cliche as it goes is. it's it, true it, though it's,
0: i've never seen that failed to be true yeah. for any black belt I've ever known
1: it's just the beginning you know and uh, again like a, it's just ever everything it's an all-inclusive human development that, mm-hmm. that I, I'm looking for in myself and also my students and I, I have the honor to share that with people which is for me that's gives me the greatest joy that I can share jujitsu with people and I can share the philosophy of martial arts. And honestly, without I, I I don't preach anything other than just being the best that you can be. Yeah. You know, I don't I, I try to just stay away from politics. I try to stay away from religion i just Mm -hmm. say you know be the best that you can be you know it doesn't matter who you are you know what you believe just be the best you can be be honest be truthful love respect be a man of honor Mm -hmm. you know that said this there's there's not some kind of secret formula yeah yeah um so yeah that's what i believe that laborio and i have in common yeah you know that that's that's a philosophy that underpins his teaching mm. and of course like if you look at the split with att um i mean i won't go into the details of that he's never gone public with it but he has explained to me his his opinion and, mm. and, and his thoughts on it but i i won't share them here because right. he hasn't gone public with them but um he did go public with his um statements about some of the ATT fighters right. creating kind of dissent and I don't know division right. amongst people by you know certain uh, actions. And things you know i mean it was just kind of that's the way mma was go- was going it was turning into a big spectacle a w- yeah, wwe yeah. style spectacle yeah. and i get it i mean you know for me because I I didn't have an MMA team and I didn't have fighters fighting in MMA. And it, what am I meant to say? I enjoy the spectacle of MMA, but he was directly involved in a team where there were individuals in there who were not, not what we would call martial artists or or such. Or (laughs) warrior scholars (laughs) necessarily. Yeah. yeah. I I mean, they were just, you know, fighters. And it is, man, I, I, for me, I would want better for myself. I would want better for my mm-hmm. children, mm-hmm. and I would want better for my students. You know, like a legacy, man. If I, you know, my students, I just, I don't want them to talk crap. I just want them to behave with honor. You know, if they win, I want them to accept, you know, their victory mm-hmm. with humility. If they lose, I want them to accept their defeat with humility, mm-hmm. and and continue with their lives like like that. Um, and that's
0: beautiful stuff, man.
1: And yeah, so that's that's what I think Laboria and but, I agreed upon. Man,
0: I I do have this uh, you know, uh I'm I was really moved by everything you said and then that's why it it really kind of dawned on me that like you're a real Conor McGregor fan. How did this happen? How did this happen that you're a fan of Conor
1: McGregor, bro? What? What? <laughs> I just appreciate the story, man. <laughs> I, you know, it's for, for me. It's just a big game when I when I see them doing this. I mean, I, yeah, I, 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 no. I'm, I'm giving you a hard does time. Does that We're make just with Yeah, you. no, I I do wonder whether it makes me a hypocrite. You know, I I do wonder, but I mean, the thing is, you know, hypocrisy is such a real thing in people, man. It is such yeah, a real thing. Duly noted within the self. You know, I I, I just want to <laughs> be known as a person who just says what i feel you Mm -hmm. know and i i just if i don't do it if i don't believe it i'm not gonna say it yeah and i think this is such a dangerous thing that people that they they walk a very dangerous line they do with their hypocrisy and i i I can see it it's kind of like like curtains of open to reality as as the layers of hypocrisy start to you know, be, become clear to me that I see in many different people, and I only hope that I'm not subject to that myself. And yeah. you know, I, I'm sure I am. It's it's part of the ego. You, you, you know, from what I understand of the ego, um, which, which is actually a topic that I I think is very interesting within the martial arts. kind Oof. of destroying the ego. Come on, man! If
0: if jujitsu should accomplish one thing for you. By the time you become a black belt, which it sometimes fails at, depending on what school you come from, yeah. that would be one of those things,
1: huh? Well, yeah. I mean, again, that's kind of ironic, isn't it? Because it, it's not always the case. You know, mm-hmm. you get very accomplished fighters who still have huge egos. If anything, it bolsters the ego. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think part of that, or part of the journey of every individual, is to have a. a a guide, if you like, a a guide can help, you know, because it's difficult sometimes by yourself. And I had this individual that started me off. I mentioned him at at the start of our conversation, a guy called Max Gillespie. He was the first one to mention this, this term ego to me. And he used to say, oh, it's just your ego talking. It's just, it's your ego that's stopping you from, Mm. from progressing or or Mm -hmm. moving forward. Um, And of course, understanding this term ego what is ego you know the sense of self the sense of your position in the world you know so so to speak right right um and the explanation and the understanding of that concept and and how jujitsu can be an incredible vehicle to defeat the ego or at least to start stripping Mm -hmm. away the layers of the the human ego and it, it's such an incredible vehicle. there are many different vehicles I do of course believe, you know, of course it could be meditation for some, it could be yoga, yeah, it could be different disciplines. Right. but you know I, I find that jujitsu is a very pure form of stripping that ego Oof. away because it encompasses so many things, you know that real physical exertion against another human being, you know, the act of submitting to another person right is in itself yeah it, it's a stripping away of the ego because you have to acknowledge admit man and acknowledge that the other person is better you know whatever that person looks like you know irrespective of social status mm-hmm. of your skin color mm-hmm. religion shape, size politics gender none of it It doesn't mean anything you know you have to take off your ego and you have to tap otherwise you're gonna be in for a,
0: either hurt or you, you might not wake the up Hospital,
1: homie? Man, you know? <laughs> Um, and this, this, for me, I, there are not many other vehicles that are as effective as jiu jitsu for stripping the ego away. Yeah. Um, but a- again, I had someone explain that concept to mm. me, which, which I think helped me. And, and he illustrated the benefits of taking the ego away from yourself of course no one is free from ego of course nobody yeah yeah. you know i'm not free from ego, but the black cortez killer has an ego you know what i'm saying (laughs) (laughs) but i i recognize it i I really do and i kind of i I hope that that i can continue to strip away the layers because it, it is it's a deep realization of the self that you can see sometimes it's kind of it's a glimpse into the universe, you it's know? It's deep, yeah. It's a glimpse into the depths of your own being when the ego is stripped away almost completely and, mm-hmm. and you just see yourself. Like, I I, have stuff like social media sometimes. And I just, like, look at pictures and, and I think, man, these are such empty images and are, are such superficial representations mm. of our our realities and yeah of who we are as human beings or who it's, we could be yeah yeah you, you, you know and i just how can we we speak this to people how can we kind of translate it to other human beings it's it's, it's very difficult you know i i have no ill will towards anybody yeah anybody but you know even in my time i found that people become very upset at me for one reason or another you know for something and i and i reflect back on it and i i i don't know what was it was it my ego that blinded me to something right that upset these people with my my particular actions but
0: or was it their ego that
1: couldn't take a simple truth right perhaps perhaps but I, i like i I, I don't know whether I could be in the the position to make that assertion. Right. Because I, you begin with yourself, you know? Right. Begin with start yourself. within, yeah. You know, when we start just like looking at everybody else, and that, that's when the problems begin. Right. Because you, neglect you haven't
0: gone inward in, deep enough. Yeah. So, so yeah. oh, hold on, hold on. You know, um, Stefan makes dope beats. He actually played <laughs> for me a beat that he made the other day and had a Logic acapella on there and it was smacking, boy it was schmacking,
1: so how long have you been making beats? Well, you know music is obviously as in the family, as I mentioned earlier, I spoke about my father um, and i've I've always loved music man from from an early age, and obviously, having the exposure to classical music, it gave me quite a varied um, mm-hmm. influence mm-hmm. in the musical world um. And then my sister, she was, she's kind of like seven years older than me or so. Mm-hmm. And she got really deep into soul and hip hop mm-hmm. as as she was growing up, like in her early teens. So that was kind of like the late eighties, mid eighties. Mm-hmm. Um early 90s so that kind of triggered uh, an interest she'd play me some of her vinyl collection which is you know huge huge vinyl collection classic soul stuff and i was Mm. like wow this is this is amazing music and that got me into hip-hop she played me some early hip-hop and i was like yeah this is kind of some cool stuff um so i started listening to hip-hop in the mid-90s um but I, I ended up getting a guitar and I taught myself to play guitar because it was kind of like the grunge era. And- I just
0: want everybody to just <laughs> pause their own tape in their brain and note that this man went ahead and played soccer at a high level, <laughs> learned Arabic, travels the world, and then I just picked up a guitar and taught myself to play it. I just say that out loud to yourself. Continue, sir.
1: And yeah. I, the thing is it was the grunge era so
0: i can barely beatbox and this man's teaching himself guitar
1: i got myself a um a guitar tablature of like nirvana mm-hmm. uh, red hot chili peppers and you know some kind of grunge bands at the time and mm. i started playing in bands as a kid and again a very eclectic mix i was playing kind of metal stuff soul yeah. stuff I had I had a friend of mine he, he sung in his local gospel church we were doing some D'Angelo stuff yeah um, I had like drum kits set up and my guitars and everything bass guitars and That's stuff. Sick, just, man just you know just playing around it ne- never became anything serious he makes it. dope beats y'all
0: stop playing if you're looking for <laughs> some slappers you need to hit him up you know what I'm saying um, but then just like this McGregor thing Do you know he was hating on the West Coast the other day, bro? (laughs) He really was talking to the South Bay Shogun about how he didn't like Dr. Dre. (laughs) He said he didn't like Dr. Dre, y'all. Now, you know, you know, I'm going to listen to anybody, but I, within my heart, L- mm. lost all respect it was, no it wasn't respect it was more of a heartbreaking <laughs> you couldn't hear it shatter quietly but it did it shattered quietly uh, so I just want to like, can we go back a little bit sure. and yeah. talk about uh, the the groups that you do like because we're going to leave the West Coast out of this on this one right here so so who who do you like in terms of hip hop yeah or, man
1: uh, well you, you I know I think Mobb Deep yeah I mean the mid 90s it was of course it was it was the Wu-Tang Clan they, they yeah. came out You know, the 36 chambers and, you know, that kind of hard sound. And I was like, wow, you know, I like this sound. Just kind of dark. sound Yeah. Um, And yeah. That that rowdy edge. Yeah. I mean, I don't know why the West Coast, they were all happy and it was all kind of happy. You ain't never heard Shredder to Compton.
0: You know what I'm saying? You ain't never heard America's most, bro. You know what I'm saying? Death certificate. That's happy to you. (laughs) Wow. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Don't don't let them keyboards fool you, man. Right. You know what I'm saying? True, true. true.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Spice One's happy. Obviously, all all the offshoots from the Wu Tang, Ghostface, yeah, yeah. Grave Diggers, Grave Diggers. Yeah, I mean that that was some fantastic stuff. And I picked up quite a lot of stuff on vinyl. Yeah. So I still have a decent decent vinyl collection from '90s hip hop. I've been selling. I told you I've been selling some off recently. You know. You got to do that though, man. I, I, you know, yeah. I, I'm, I'm not really too am sentimental kind of with with that, about it. You know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah, not too sentimental. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're, they're worth money, you know, people buying that stuff. Uh, yeah. But for me, I mean, more like my, me, my sister would never let me sell it, but, you know, she's got some, <laughs> she's got some old soul vinyl. Might have yourself a little gold mine, you know what yeah. I'm saying? Yeah. The old soul vinyl, I, I think, is more... Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's kind of useful, and you know I can play around with it. Sometimes I sample it as well, mm-hmm. and just just try and play around with the sample So
0: now I was listening to Mob Deep today, man. uh It's I love I love Mob Deep, man. I love nonfiction production like Necro the way that he makes beats. Mm-hmm. Um, Premiere, obviously, you know what I'm saying. But the dude I like right now is P.F. Cutting. Hmm. he he's the dude that that made planet apes which is my favorite sean price track that is my favorite track i played a hundred times in a row bro it's so good hmm. you know what i'm saying you
1: have to school me school yeah, me.
0: yeah 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 well
1: I'm yo like, I'm man not an, you know i'm just an amateur you know this is your back stop this is playing your bro stop you know? playing this man caught himself the guitar talking about how i'm an amateur <laughs> i'm not listening to none of that at all. I was, I mean, I, I probably was more into m- metal, I guess, growing up. I was going to concerts at like yeah. 13, you know. Yeah, yeah. Like, Who'd you like
0: in the, on the metal side
1: of the coin? Well, it, it was funny because I, it was about mid-90s, 94, was it 92? Rage Against the Machine came Woo! out. And, you know, that was a real turning point yeah, in, man. in music, I, I think. Was that really, was crazy, man. It was man. a seminal album, man. I mean, because the guy had, you know, his, his rhymes were just... <sighs> incredible and very powerful lyrics yeah well. he was actually lyrical I think that's what really
0: changed like you know because um, I actually liked Limp Biscuit. Yeah, but I'm from yeah, yeah. I'm from the suburbs where I grew up with mm. ACDC and stuff like that. Yeah. So as a black dude, I was really feeling Limp Biscuit. Yeah, yeah. But you know, lyrically, was Limp Biscuit saying anything worth nothing? No. no. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but they were still dope though. Even yeah. as a band, when you think about them musically. The music was good. It was well produced. It was what was needed for that moment. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, but Rage Against the Machine was just like, what? I mean like mm. Hard political edges, flow, dude. You know his vocals were original and just, you know what I'm saying. So no, that was hard.
1: Yeah, that was hard. Well, of course I know. I know. Hip hop has been political, and it was political at various different yeah, times. Yeah. But you know, stuff like the Mob Deep stuff—it was just just hard. It was just violent. grimy and dark.
0: It, it, and, it, yeah, you know, Jedi mind tricks. You it know wasn't stuff
1: you're gonna play to your mum. You yeah, know? Was... <laughs> definitely not. <laughs> definitely not. So you you know, for me, Rage Rage Against the Machine. Well, I was you know just I was like, man, what's this guy talking about? He's talking about his... Hard. crazy stuff you know the Cuban Missile Crisis you know <laughs> that's like man, this guy's got metal crazy metal Cuban Missile Crisis you know um, so yeah super yeah, nah, that's super sick. influential uh, for a number of different reasons yeah I mean, man I never got to see them in concert unfortunately but I know me either I remember they came with Wu-Tang yeah. for the first Rock
0: the Bells in the Bay couldn't go yeah. I don't even remember why I just remember being heartbroken that day
1: you remember Ice Cube's metal uh, or ice was it ice tea or ice? Yeah, ice tea. Ice tea uh, uh, body count. Body count. Yeah, dude. Hey, yeah. still people sleep. Uh,
0: there's a track called Body Counts in the house. Yeah, 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 yeah. Boy. All oh, day, body oh, counts in the house, was... just the way that came in, hard. I went and saw him perform at The Stone, which which doesn't exist anymore in San Francisco's on Broadway. Man, that place was buck wild. And I was one of the only <laughs> black dudes there, so he kept giving me a high five because I was in the front row. He's like, hey, it's the black guy. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but
1: yeah, man. He came in hard with that.
0: Yeah, yeah he was dope. It was, it was well, nice. man. Stefan Zoll, thank you so much for being on Bishop Chronicles. I really appreciate everything that you shared. And uh, if someone is trying to get a hold of you, how do they do
1: it? They can check out my Instagram. I mean, that's that's kind of my main kind of communication for jujitsu. So it's just yeah. my name at uh, uh, Instagram. So at Stefan Zoll. Spell that one time for it's those that can't spell it. S T E F A N Z O
0: L L. All right. So, have a blessed one. Thank you for being on the Chronicles. And, uh, man, look, I told you I'd be bringing the realest dudes on, man. I might have to do a part two with this guy. Y'all can tell he's hella deep. I might have to get a part two in here because uh, we have not yet scratched the surface. Trust me. You know what I'm saying? Thank you for being on Bishop Chronicles. Pleasure, brother. Pleasure. Teacher, what style is that? Whole thing. Speak, 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 speak. You are now listening to the Bishop Popo. You must learn.
1: Right, with me. <laughs> it's my own secret technique. <laughs>